thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. It's time to kick your shoes off, put your heels up, and listen to how to live your best barefoot lifestyle with your host, the barefoot podiatrist, Paul Thompson. Hello, and welcome back to the Barefoot Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Thompson, the Barefoot Podiatrist, and today I have with me Mr. Galahad Clark, CEO of Vivo Barefoot. And with Mr. Clark, I have with me as well, Ben Levacon. Is that right, Ben? Yes, there we go. Who is Vivo Barefoot's education and coaching guru. So welcome, gentlemen. Nice to be here. Now, Galahad, if we can start off, just this just blows my mind. How do you go from a family of Clark shoes to essentially the complete opposite? Well, so first, first thing I would say is that um, Clark started in 1825, so I'm a seventh generation member of the Clark's family. And you can imagine there's a lot of us in my generation, uh, literally hundreds of cousins. Yeah. Uh, and, but Clark's and she started life, obviously, um, making sheepskin slippers, basically. First, they were sheep farmers in Somerset and Southwest England and got into sheep tanning. And then their first ever shoe they made, the Brown Peter, was effectively a sheepskin moccasin called the Brown Peter. Um, the business got into trouble in the late 19th century, and the, the grandson of the owners took it over. And one of his first marketing campaigns in about the 1880s was called Hygienic Boots and Shoes. And if you saw that, advertising campaign you look it up online it's, it's hygienic boots and shoes by clark's advertising from the 1880s it is almost sort of word for word how vivo barefoot would does their marketing today um promoting a sort of healthy feet allowing your feet your children's feet particularly to um develop naturally if you, if you have deformed weak feet, then it's very possible to get your natural foot strength back. So this was you know, what Clarks was up to in the 1880s, 1890s, and making particularly wide, soft shoes compared to the norm. And you know, frankly, how they built their global you know, comfort brand status, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, as Ben can tell you better than I can, there was a lot of good science around the turn of the century, around feet and around barefoot, a lot of podiatrists, sort of people like William Rossi, mm. who was one of the original inspirations of the, one of the first scientists we read around barefoot, you know, oper operating well over 100 years ago, um, talking barefoot. So, you know, in, in, in many ways, we're not here to sort of, uh, promote some kind of earth-shattering new technology. Frankly, this is the way shoes have been made for thousands of generations, from the first Bushmen on the Kalahari to the way um, people, you know, even the Eskimos made shoes up in Lapland, etc., um, etc. Et and, and and obviously the First Nations people uh, in America with their beautiful moccasins, all you know, really perfect, brilliant barefoot shoes. 
something happened in the 20th century. And it wasn't just in shoes. I mean, obviously, we all got into a big fight with each other. But then technology came along and we thought we could, you know, overrule nature. We could emancipate ourselves from nature. And it wasn't just, you know, it was shoes, but it was food. It was medicine. It was everything, right? And we started to invent better ways of doing things than mm. than been doing for thousands of generations. You know, we thought suddenly humans were above nature. And, you know, here we are in the 21st century where science has kind of caught up again. And, you know, what we're actually learning from modern science is it turns out that we couldn't do a better job than nature. And, you know, thanks to actually, you know, really advanced modern science, and as we see with the kind of gut microbiome, which we still don't fully understand, Mm. you know, and also with just movement, also the way we sleep, the, the, the way light, we interact with light, all these kind of um, new discoveries in science uh, are all just pointing us back to basically respecting nature, um, ancient wisdom, and, you know, that, so that's Vivo Barefoot is just happy to sort of basically finally pick back up with that stream of thinking um, where Mother Nature is the boss um, and allowing our feet to do their natural thing. And, you know, I was lucky that... Well, so, so just to bring it back to the Clark's story then, so Clark's, you know, like, like all other shoe brands of the, of the 20th century, you know, got a bit drunk on underfoot technology and new padding technologies and air. They would claim they, were, they invented air. Yeah. <laughs> Another company obviously kind of came, you know, uh, did a good job, a better job of marketing it than Clark's. <laughs> yeah. And funny enough, my father actually spent 10 years in Australia running Clark's Australia. Really? And he, he fell in love with Australia and wanted to stay in Australia. Um, but my grandmother famously wrote a letter to him saying, you know, you get your um, bum back to England. Uh, you've got a shoe business to get involved in. <laughs> Anyway, they, but, but, but Clark's, you know, they, and they always had a great business and it was a wonderful business on many levels. It was run with Quaker principles. They pioneered the intersection of business and social justice and, um, and, and they had 30 shoe factories in England and four in Australia, actually, with generations of people that have worked in these factories. And so my father's generation was desperately trying to keep these factories alive in the face of basically cheap imports from Asia. And so it was in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, I was at high school that the business got into serious trouble and they, they couldn't compete, basically. They couldn't figure out how to make the, the, the British factories compete with the cheap shoes made in Asia coming. Um, and so um, basically the, fam the, the, the business nearly got sold. Um, this is about 30 years ago now. The family stopped running it, um, brought in outside professional management, and this guy that they now sort of affectionately call the Axeman came in and shut all the factories down, moved all the production to Asia, and saved the business on a certain level, on a financial level, but completely destroyed it on a, on a values and, and shoemaking and sort of... Uh, or, you know what the brand really stood for and the company really stood for and, mm -hmm. and actually you know 30 years later this year the, the, it's finally now um gone into uh, ownership by the chinese have actually taken over the company it's public knowledge oh, really? 
literally yeah. happened last week that the, the yeah. family lost control of the business. Um, so, um, you know, there's, I guess there's, there is some synchronicity to Vivo Barefoot sort of being on the rise and, uh, mm. you know, a little company perhaps, you know, living up to the values that Clark's espoused over a hundred years ago and making shoes in the way they made a hundred years ago, coming back on the rise and the one that was sort of run by professional management, you know, promoting all kinds of underfoot baloney. Um, not working quite so well. I like that you've taken the, you know, the Clark's history, the origin, you know, where it all started and you're kind of taking it back to that. It's, it's cool. It's kind of like you're starting it fresh and, yeah, and you're not, not going to falter this time. You'll, you'll keep in some ways, it wasn't, it wasn't the intention. I was, I was doing a little shoe brand called Terra Plana that was eco-fashion. We're into oxymorons and like eco-fashion and ethical business and barefoot shoes they're all great oxymorons and you know we could go on but um i really um was making fairly conventional shoes and honestly like like all shoemakers and it's shocking how little your average shoe person knows about biomechanics about foot anatomy Hmm. like the shoe industry just doesn't know they just mean they just do it the way the previous generation does it, as we're all yeah. sort of time finders, without really questioning, well, why is it like that? And, and it was a childhood friend of mine that came to me with the idea for Vivo Barefoot. I, I take no credit for it, honestly. And, and I just instinctively loved the idea. And then it was through making Vivo shoes and wearing Vivo shoes that I myself got educated. Hmm. Uh, um, and, and Ben's been on the journey with me for, for years, and, and we went through an education journey together on many levels. Ben's taken it further and made a career out of it. Um, I'm just, I'm still just a cobbler. Um, you know, he, he's 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 dealing in all the smart, the smart stuff, as it were. But um, so, he, you know, uh, I've been on an, and and it's kind of like a truth. And once you get to know it, and once you get educated on it, I think you you've been on a, on a similar journey. You can't unknow it. You can't. No. There's no way I going back. <laughs> and funny enough, I found out about the Clark stuff kind of after we'd already started Vivo Barefoot. So that's pretty cool. It was pretty cool, yeah. I actually I interviewed. Mean, um, was it Tim that you were talking about? Tim, yeah, ben? exactly. Tim was, yeah, exactly. There you go. I spoke with Tim on the podcast maybe twelve months ago. Um, awesome guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So he, he, well, he, I'm sure he told you the story that like, you know with the. He told me more about his yeah his side of it right. and how he how he um got involved with it and, and it, yeah anyway if you want to listen to that one go back and have a listen that was a really interesting um, chat with Tim Brennan um, yeah it's just so cool it's, hearing he, the other side he, of it now. total credit for you know Vivo Barefoot the genesis of Vivo Barefoot for sure yeah but then I guess it wouldn't be where it is today without you jumping on board too so really it's a bit of a team effort. <laughs> You know, success has many authors. <laughs> it does. <laughs> and Ben, how yeah. have you always been into like barefoot stuff? Like Al had just said, you know, you've been on a journey as well. How did you get involved with Vivo and you know, and what's your yeah. role and tail now? I um I joined Terra Plana in two thousand and seven and I was kind of inspired to join the company because of, of eco footwear ultimately they were making recycled shoes and um 
she was using beautiful Indian quilts where every pair was unique. Um, you know, seemed like a, an awesome thing to do. And within a few months of joining the company, I started wearing the Bebo barefoot shoes and my back problem that, you know, I thought ran in the family before I knew about posture and movement uh, got a hell of a lot better in a matter of, of weeks, really. Just from walking, you know, I noticed very quickly that standing at a trade show all day, you'd have a bad back, you know, you'd feel like, you know, you needed to sit down. And after a short time of wearing Vivos, you'd be at a trade show all day, you stood on your feet doing your thing, sit down for five minutes, stand up like you hadn't been on your feet all day. Um, and, you know, of course, it sounds quite evangelical. It's, it's not that simple. But it was really quite an epiphany to me after years of wearing Vans and, you know, I collected Nike Air Jordans. You know, you think you need cushioning. Actually, it's the last thing that you need. So, um, yeah, we, we Vivo grew really quickly. And as we learned more about feet, we kind of focused more and more of the business on that. And I was the first brand manager of, of Vivo as a sort of standalone business. And, um, yeah, then we met, we met um, a very knowledgeable biomechanist, Lee Saxby, who Hi. taught us a lot about feet, yeah. And, um, you know, when I was first introduced to that early science, the 1905 Hoffman paper, um, you know, it just blew my mind why we were in the state that we were in with trainers. Um, that's the last thing that a cushioned shoe with arch support and a narrow toe box should be called. It should be called a weakener, not a trainer. That's you know? So it's just a bizarre state of affairs. And, and when I first had that kind of simple truth, I knew that um, I was going to spend the, the, a long time getting deeper and deeper into that, but ultimately sharing those simple truths and just trying to bust the myths within footwear and movement. Um, um, it's a hard myth to yeah. bust, isn't it? I mean, we were just chatting before we started recording about this, you know, how, how we're just so conditioned to, to these conventional shoes that everyone just believes are good for us. And busting that myth, like, until you have that moment and feel what it feels like to get out of those weakeners, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can be really hard to change people's mindset around that. So how do we do yeah, that? Do you know, <laughs> where um, the, the sort of history of podiatry uh, comes from, as in who founded the first sort of podiatry schools in America? Do you know who did that? As I understand it, and you can look this stuff up, it's quite, you know, there's sort of conspiracy books by Eustace Mullins. There's one called Murder by Injection. It's all about um, the suppression of natural therapies in America. Um, which brought about the, the first medical schools. And actually, um, Dr. Scholl, mm -hmm. who arguably wasn't a doctor and had bought his doctor's certificate and was very good at marketing, uh, and he was obviously the one responsible for the foot easers and the original arch supports and all kinds of different contraptions. Um, he was the one who founded the first podiatry school. So they're, they're built on his um, fundamental... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just misunderstanding of feet. And this is it. Still today, podiatry looks at the anatomy of a static foot rather than the function of a dynamic foot. And this is what we're trying to recreate all the time, which is why we end up with the bizarre state that 
The remedy for a flat foot is some arch support, and the remedy for a big high stiff arch is some arch support. Well, yeah. how can you do? How can you give the same solution to two opposite problems? You know, it's uh, it's a bizarre state of affairs. Anyway, one of my favourite anecdotes around all of that is, and, and as I understand it, in the medical world, it's kind of the surgeons sort of talk to the doctors and talk to the physios and. And so we're friendly with one of the leading foot and ankle surgeons in London, a guy called Johan Jones. Um, and he's a member of a set of clinics in London, 15 foot and ankle surgeons. And they, you know, they do all the kind of premier footballers and this and that. And so up until five years ago, 90% of his patients, he would have prescribed invasive foot surgery and at least some orthotics, but definitely mm. something invasive. And he's gone through this incredible process himself where he's kind of come out of the, let's say, barefoot closet to some degree. And, um, and, and now, put simply, five years later, he would uh, give his patients an option and say, look, I can either operate on you or give you some kind of invasive support, or we can get into a foot rehab program. What do you want to go for? And, and five years later, 90% of his patients go through no surgery, no invasive support, get rehabbed, get their feet strength back through using their feet. And, you know, but the, but the shocking thing is, and the challenge we're up against is that, so, so he's starting to put together this incredible body of patient evidence and, and support, but still of, of his sort of 15 foot and ankle surgeons, he's managed to persuade one of the other ones. So it's only, it's only five years later, two out of 15 that, that have this mindset. So we're, you know, we're sort of inching up the mountain, as it were. But until those guys change and the medical schools change in a way, like, the, we're, you know, we're just constantly up against it. I used to think that with podiatry, that I had to change other podiatrists' minds. And I've realised it's not the podiatrists I have to change, it's the public. Because when the public come in to me now, and a lot of them just know what I do based, you know, from online, so they'll come and seek me out for that, they expect that they're probably not going to get an orthotic, you know, unless they really need it. Like I'll still prescribe stuff if it's if it needs to be done. But you know what I mean? Like it's it's changing the mindset of the public to a certain extent as well, because the more that the public wants a certain type of treatment or, you know, starts questioning surgery for every foot and ankle problem, mm-hmm. then that's when the other surgeons are going to start missing out and have to jump on board because the public expects more of them than just, you know, well, well my friend had rehab and missed it and didn't have to do surgery, you know, why can't I do that? So as the public starts getting exactly. more educated, I think that will also drive, drive a bit more of the, you know, change in, in practices and what the uni um, teaches. But in saying that, I guess if practitioners change, that will also help drive things faster as well. I think, okay. um, look, Ultimately, with social media today, things can move quicker than they ever have before. So we've got an ever-growing public and more and more coaches, trainers, um, you know, as well as uh, medical professionals promoting mm. the best movement. It just like everything, things are going to be an, an overnight success after 30 years and you'll hit the tipping point with this at some point. Um, you know. I think it's just education, right? Like, in, yeah, like it's one of those things that there's still going to be 
always a need for art supports for the like for some people. You know, like mm. all the stuff I learned at uni around traditional podiatry treatment, and I'm sure a lot of the surgeons and all the, all the things we learn like has its place. You know, the problem has been that a lot of these, so podiatry, for instance, it's become an industry as well. Oh, one of them with podiatry is that we've medicalized the masses. And whereas, you know, you're saying a, a small percentage of people would benefit from those um, um, interventions, it's, it really is a small amount of people, you know. It's not, it's not the 80%. It's, it's I mean, almost all of us are born with perfect feet. Yeah, and I guess putting away the, you know, because I'm not smashing my industry. Podiatry is a great industry. You learn lots of good things. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a time and place for it. But I think the other big issue, right, is that we've now taken all these treatment forms and thrown them in as prevention as well. So, you know, we need the cushioning. We need arch support. We need your toes to be squished in so they don't move for some reason. I don't know. Um you know, to prevent foot problems and that's to the masses. But it's like, well, actually, no, if we thought about this the other way around and everyone wore, you know, bare feet, Vivo, barefoot shoes, and then if there was a problem down the track, then we reassess if you need some intervention for a little while, you know, how many foot issues would we have? How many back problems would we have? You know, how would people's hips look? Um, Because just from what I take away from you know, clients I see in here, there's a lot more knee, hip surgeries um, going on than ever before. It just seems like everyone's joints are wearing out a lot quicker and yep. the people I'm seeing are not athletes. So, you know, some of these exactly. We've got people recent, shouldn't have worn out joints. Yeah. Um, Hannah in Leeds is doing research into, well, partly into... Um, physiotherapists attitudes towards barefoot rehabilitation and barefoot uh, shoes as it were Um, but also to look at neosteoarthritis and um, how that is you know how you can help to rehab it and potentially prevent with barefoot and again it's it really isn't rocket science like fetus shock absorbers if you take Mm. that shock absorbing out of the equation you're going to whack more impact into your shins and your knees and this is, again, is the, the, the reality is cushioning in many ways has the opposite effect than is intended if you're not in tune with your body. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yeah. 100%. Um, I mean, for, from my point of view, the, the onus of proof is on the underfoot technology and the intervention, not the other way around. What, what, why, why are we having to prove that feet work? Like, surely we've got 2 million years of evolution to prove that. The, the onus of proof and there uh, and there is very little is on the underfoot technology and that's that you know that, that that's the table we've got to turn here as it were and like and a big problem with science that goes against the barefoot community is there's been a lot of bias right like it's easy to take someone put some cushioning or change their foot and try and prove that that's changed the foot but when you start taking a foot that's weak and might have been bound up in a shoe and then take it all away and try and prove that the foot has better function after it's been bound up for 30 years, that's oh, really okay. hard to prove. You know, that takes time. It takes rehab. So, you know, I think it's a bit of it's, 
it's a harder concept to prove unless you took, you know, kids and did longitudinal studies, but then it's not mm-hmm. as sexy because it's like, oh, well, when you just prove that <laughs> doing nothing is good for you, it's not sexy. That's the most exciting research we're seeing now is, is the research around walking and just everyday use. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've seen the studies yet, but the, there's, there's one came just come out of Liverpool. It's about to get published in Nature, I think, early next year. And a similar, building off a similar one in Harvard that showed just walking around in barefoot shoes, no special exercises, no running, no, you know, just at least 70% of the week, walking around in barefoot shoes improves your foot strength by 60%, which is amazing. How long was that? Over six months. Six months, yeah. So you could potentially extrapolate 100% in a year. But the point is not wearing barefoot shoes makes your feet strong. The point is wearing normal shoes makes your feet extremely weak. Just by walking around with less shoe on, you regain this natural base layer of strength. And most people are walking around with, you know, necessarily sort of probably, you know, if this science is correct, you know, 60% weaker feet than they should be. And then you, and then, and then you, over, you have to overcompensate up the kinetic chain. And that's, mm. so in a way, you want to get the argument away from running and away from sort of elite exercise, as it were, and just to, you know, it's in everybody's interest just to have strong, healthy feet because the rest of your body will just work better. What you end up wearing for footwear for fancy occasions and be it sort of a posh party or a crazy sporting event is almost a separate thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's about walking, it's about every day, and it's about preserving kids' feet. And, 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 and you know, for me, like the fact that most kids in the Western world end up at, in, in adulthood with weak, deformed feet is a... Is a public health scandal. Oh, massively. Um, right. It's, a, it's, it's a, sad, right? It's, it's devastating. It's, you know, it's, yeah. it's like seeing, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of, of them smoking sort of 10 fags a day for 10 years or something, and they, they, mm. they arrive in adulthood sort of compromised human beings. And that's, you know. There was some um, research came out last month that was looked at about 600 kids in Japan in, in a handful of different um, daycare centers. Only 12% of those, they were preschool kids, only 12% of them had straight big toes. So basically well, the, one, the ones who, yeah, there was, there was a few of the places had a barefoot policy indoors, but most of them had to wear shoes indoors as well. And they had special indoor shoes, of course, for hygiene. But yeah, only, only 12% of the kids actually had straight big toes and it's, it's criminal. It's like, what other bit of footwear, sorry, what other bit of clothing do we wear that deforms our body? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like and it's, you, but it's then even bad. the whole, because I get people coming here, oh, I've got to protect their feet though. I said, but would you put a reading glasses on your kid if they're having their eye problems? Of course not. Would you put a back brace on them? No. Like when they're learning yeah. to crawl, do you try and protect their hips? Of course not. You try and get them to strengthen and move, but, the feet, when they eat, right? What is it? Do you make them wear a gum shield when they eat food? Because teeth oh, are Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to have straight teeth, you know. <laughs> and weak From kids, and there's also research that came out last week on um, older people who've had who've suffered from falls, mm. showing they've got better stability and mobility 
in vivo compared to uh, sketches. You know, well, like, again, <laughs> not surprising, but no. it's, what is surprising is that we have to do research to show this. Yeah, it's just, there's another word that's just sad, isn't it? Like, it's just common sense yeah, I mean, when you look at, okay, well, you know, a sketch issue is so unstable anyway. Yeah. And sketches have been really good for business for me. People put them on, they, you know, think they're really comfortable, they feel really lovely. They'll take feet that have poor function, put them on an unstable surface like mm -hmm. memory foam, and then wonder why all of a sudden their feet are getting even more pain. And it's like, well, like, sure, they're soft and squishy, but now you just created even more dysfunction because you've got no stability standing on the hard ground. How are you going to create stability walking around on a pillow as well? You know, it's yeah. like, so it makes complete sense that in the elderly population, falls would be you know, less in a vivo shoe and yeah. they're more stable. Like it's just... 4.6 that costs the NHS falls, 1.67 billion a year. Wow. Now, if you can have any kind of influence on that, it's huge, not to mention yeah. quality of life, which is so much, you know, which is everything. Yeah. Um, so you guys are doing some research yourselves as well? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Was that one of your studies? The I mean we don't I mean we, we just help support some research. Um yeah. we have an independent foundation and um we we support some some of the leading centres at especially at Liverpool University um and Leeds, uh, University in Ireland and, and Harvard centered around Irene Davis and Dan Lieberman. So we you know we're, we're we're very conscious that we're a shoe brand ultimately trying to sell shoes. So it's a murky ground, uh, you know, um, the sort of corporatization of research, shall we say. So we, we try to make sure it goes to an independent foundation and yeah. But, but as you said before, it's tricky because like proving that nothing is better than something is a difficult one to pay for in research because <laughs> who funds the, uh, you know, the nothing. Yes, right. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not it's not as cool, is it? Where's the money? Well, well yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. The feeling is very cool. Yeah, and as we keep saying, it, once you feel it, you can't, can't really go back. The thing is that science needs to be to be done right because at the moment there's no accountability for the other end of the spectrum. We're adding support, doing all these things. Yes, yeah. are great. There's so you know, I think hats off to you that you are funding and supporting um, you know some of these researches. It needs to be done. You know, the people need to know. It's a, it completes the picture. You know, and like I say to a lot of my patients, I'm here to give you information, as much info as you want around you know foot function, shoes, like pros and cons. But at the end of the day you still make your own mind up, you know, if it doesn't make sense to you mm -hmm. and the conventional way still makes sense, go for it. You still do, it's like with everything. Yeah. I mean, it's with, what's yeah. that? That's where you'd like to get to. I mean, people, you know, scientific papers showing that smoking was bad for you in the fifties. Mm. And it, you know, it took, you know, near, near, nearly 50 years to, to get to a point where, 
it finally is a conscious choice where and every adult that smokes basically knows it's bad for you, but they're making a conscious choice to, to smoke. And that's, mm. and that's fine. You'd love, you'd love to think that we could get to the same place with barefoot shoes, but it's going to need to be, a, like you say, a big volume and body of science that sort of finally overwhelms the conventional wisdom. Um, and, you know, so we've just all got to chip away, add another brick or pull a little brick off the wall, let's say. And mm. until until the flood opens up, and you know, I think we all know that it's inevitably will get to this level of understanding. So, yeah, definitely. You know, what if you mentioned it before, there'll be a tipping more. point. What's yeah, that? So, there'll be more. Yeah, I think there's only a tipping no, point where people have to. It'd be great to. It would be great to get more cooperation across the everyone involved in barefoot, as it were. And I think you know, we're starting to work on some alliances here and there, and can start to pull resources to help with this research, help with the education. It's ultimately all about changing the, the, the public mindset, like you said. And, and, you know, we know that when someone gets a really good guided transition into barefoot and they take it slow and they walk before they run, then there's no way back. And so, um, you know, we, as we were sort of briefly chatting before this call, it would be great that we all kind of almost um, agreed on it. We were all saying exactly the same thing. There was no room for sort of misinterpretation or anything because, you know, a gentle move back to strong, healthy feet is just, you know, indisputably going to make the world uh, a healthier, happier place. And so mm. um, it, it would be great to see tremendous cooperation against, uh, with everyone sort of spreading that message. And I think what happened was around... 2010, when Born to Run came out, and there was this obviously big surge in, in America, and everyone connected it to running. So there was this massive sort of thing of, oh, nature will heal me, and everyone went and put on barefoot shoes and mm. thought they Im- immediately improved their marathon times. And, their, mm. and, and, and then, as you know, there was a class action lawsuit in America in about 2013. Um, and we, we launched Vivo as a standalone brand in 2012, to be fair to Ben, he'd been on my case for at least two years before then saying, we need to launch Vivo as a standalone brand. We need to make it, you know, um, and it was, you know, the truth is in 2000, it was the least profitable thing we were doing. All the other shoes we were selling were selling way more. And, and we did nearly go bankrupt almost immediately when we did drop everything else we're doing and focus everything on Vivo because it was about the same time that this class action lawsuit came against Vibram. Mm. And they were, you know, in, they were silly to settle it. They, they didn't need to settle it. And, and that obviously created a sort of industry-wide momentum. of like, ooh, Barefoot is, is, is bad and Barefoot is dead. And sort of, you know, along came maximalism. And obviously the fastest growing shoe brand in the world became Hoka. <laughs> and, and, uh, but, but, but what's nice to see now is that it feels like it's growing faster than ever, but it's growing what we call the second barefoot revolution is coming and it's a more educated mm-hmm. barefoot revolution that people are taking it slow, they're transitioning properly, they're getting the right advice from people like your good self. There's obviously more and more you know, good information on, online. And you know, I, I hope the, the third barefoot revolution will be really full cooperative kind of... Um, big group of, let's say, people promoting the barefoot movement and starting to talk the same language, starting to standardize it, starting to, and, and then, you know, really take away all the confusion away from 
what it is, how to do it, starting with kids, then walking, and then sort of running and move, running an elite sport is more complicated, but it will, it will happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're starting to get a lot of, especially tennis players, super elite tennis players, like top 10, top 20 in the world tennis players who starting to use barefoot shoes in their yeah. everyday life, in All their sports. training. We, we get it from rugby, from American football, from basketball. basketball. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, that's just starting to happen now. And it's, it's often one of the things people say to me is like, well, if it's so good, why isn't Ronaldo wearing barefoot shoes then? You know, how can he do what he can do not in barefoot shoes kind of thing? Because he's paid a lot of money. And so we, uh, he's paid a lot of money and he's well bound up. And, but, but imagine what he could do if he was in barefoot shoes. <laughs> All right. But I think the onus of proof needs to be on normal shoes, not on the foot. <laughs> yeah. Because- yeah, not that anyone will get around to it. Definitely, there's a legal case against the fact that cushioning was brought on an unsuspecting public because ultimately it's like giving the whole world painkillers that they weren't actually, they didn't ask for. You know, so I don't know if you're well, if you're familiar with Robin's research from the eighties. Yeah. In that research, he was like, exactly the deceptive advertising of footwear where he showed that cushioning actually increases impact forces, not decreases them because you're suddenly relying on something magic underneath your foot. Um, yeah, that goes through the, uh, the marketing of the big shoe, yeah. and that's the same as the heel raise in the shoe as well. That's a massive deception. Most yeah. people I talk to have no idea that their heel is raised in the shoe, they just assume it's a jogger, it's a flat shoe. Yeah, right. A high heel is a, a heel, but a jogger that's a flat shoe, right? Until you kind of cut it in half, exactly. <laughs> And then show them, but yeah. So cowboy boots with um with a lot of these stars that you're kind of getting wearing vivos. You know, do any of them wear like the tennis players and stuff? Do any of them wear them playing, or is more just training at this point? Well, yeah, they do. They do. They train in them, and with you know with a racket in hand and things. But um, no, I mean, funny enough, we're in we're in touch with one of the leading sort of. Uh, strength and conditioning guys in Germany who who has a number of leading players and then IMG Tennis you know there's a big sort of sports agency just contacted us saying like you know a number of their players are coming and saying can we talk to uh, can we talk about barefoot and and so it's it's awkward because you know those contracts are worth a hell of a lot of money and we don't quite have the money to pay for it so we're you know as a small company, we're trying to figure out how to, how to play that. I mean, you probably saw Roger Federer broke up quite acrimoniously with Nike because he wanted to get involved in some smaller companies. And mm. the way they got around it was to literally give him shares in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these are, as we're sort of starting to brush up against elite sport, you know, we're, one of the things we talk about in Vivo Barefoot is who is the Vivo Barefoot Michael Jordan? Because obviously it was, you know, when Nike doubled down on MJ back in the day, that was arguably, you know, a, a huge moment for them. So what is the equivalent for Vivo Barefoot? Please, please send us answers on a postcard. That is, a, you know, we're, we are open to ideas on that one. Yeah, that's open slather. If, if anyone has any ideas on who should be the, the face of Vivo as an athlete, pop it in the comments. That's what's going to change. 
changed the uh, the barefoot revolution. It's getting getting Federer. <laughs> into, he knows them well. Hey, so is Djokovic. They know them well. Yeah, yeah. It's it will get it. It's happening. It's happening. That's all you need. That's, that's what that'd be cool. And, and celebs as well. Yeah. Thor's them, right? Yeah. yeah. That's why. Yeah. The Hemsworth brothers, because um, one of our main ambassadors in the UK is Ross Edgley, and he comes and trains with the, the Hemsworth family. Oh, really? And, and they, 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 they're getting into it, yeah. Because I did, people sent me a bunch of stuff uh, a few months ago. He was photographed up where he lives barefoot with his kids. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, you know, um, Hemsworth, you know, barefoot. Has he lost all his money? Like, you know, all the headlines. <laughs> in fact, no, he's probably just looking after his health. But yeah, I was getting all this stuff sent to me at that time when, when there was these photos circulating of him, of him barefoot. Yeah, that's why he lets his kids run around barefoot. And yeah, he's, no, he's, I, I personally never spoken to him, but through Ross, I know that they, they do a lot of barefoot stuff together. Oh, that's awesome. To start wrapping up, what's, where's the brand heading? Obviously, you know, other than getting Federer and, the Hemsworths and stuff involved. Where, what's what's the future of Vivo looking yeah, like? We we spoke about it earlier a little bit. I mean, Vivo is still a small, independently funded company. There's not, um, you know, we're we're funding, you know, what is exciting growth, thirty forty percent a year, but funding it from our activities. We're not bringing in big outside money, um, and. You know, our, our bank manager sort of almost can't believe it. He's like, what, you want to actually sort of grow your business in the traditional way? Why are we not bringing in 20 million bucks to throw at this thing and explode it? Um, you know, so, so, you know, right now we're, we're trying to do it the traditional way, um, the old-fashioned way uh, you might call it in, in, in business. So which, which creates a challenge for us in terms of creating lower-priced product at high volume. Because you need a lot of cash to do that, so um, we're, we're uh, you know, unfortunately, kind of quite constrained by our size and the growth levels to to be able to kind of keep the to be able to fund the growth continually. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the big challenges for sure is how do we make a, a, a product more widely available at a at a more available price, which we're working on. Um, you know, I think one of the other super exciting areas for the shoe industry and especially for Vivo Barefoot is start getting into 3D printing and making bespoke shoes for, for people. So, you know, pretty soon your mobile phone is going to be a really good scanner. So 3D scanner, so you'll be able to scan your feet and then, you know, if, if it's not fully bespoke, then be at least semi-bespoke, but we'll be able to hold a lot more lasts and, you know, when you look at, we just looked at sort of the scans of 5 million feet. And when you look at the variety of foot uh, width and bridge height and things, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So, you know, you'd, you'd have to say 90% of people are, are wearing badly fitting shoes. Mm. So the opportunity to start to make shoes that genuinely fit people's feet, given a little bit of space for them to, to then increase is a super exciting one for Vivo. Um, we're working really hard on that, and then obviously the, the you know the other thing is the you know probably linked to the first thing we, we make high quality shoes that ultimately can be repaired, can be refurbished, and we've we've launched our whole e-commerce site, so it's especially powerful for kids as I think as well, where we'll 
start to maybe get into rental models and subscription models where we basically keep ownership of the shoes. People use them for a while or whatever they want to use them for. We take them back, we refurbish them and the life goes on. So, you know, we're, we're trying to get as, keep as many shoes out of landfill basically. And, and then mm. there's value in that as it were. So, um, that's awesome. We're busy. <laughs> yeah. The 3d printing sounds really interesting. Well, that's a, that's a game changer. Yeah. It, and funny enough, that's how, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, how humans made shoes for thousands of generations. They made it foot by foot, person by person, and they sort of draw around your foot and, you know, cut the reindeer hide or the antelope skin or whatever it was and, yeah. and then make the shoe for you, for your foot. It would ultimately be repairable and made from local sustainable materials. You know, now modern technology is going to allow us to go back to that type of shoemaking rather than these you know, horrible industrial complex of shoe factories and warehouses filled with plastic shoes. So, you know, I think ultimately that industrial complex around shoemaking will finally go away, which will make the world a cleaner, you know, less wasteful place. And, and we'll go back to really respecting foot by foot, person by person, shoe by shoe. That's epic. That's, I love where the brand's heading. Hey, I just love yeah, how you, I mean, you make amazing shoes um, and I've been wearing them for, well, how long now? The best part of 10 years anyway. Um, and like the style, the quality is all amazing, but I love how the brand is just becoming more and more just environmentally friendly and just, it just seems to be ticking all the all the boxes. And then Ben, education, what's what's the future of education at Vivo? Yeah, looking like what can we expect to be? We have a nice new seven-step back to barefoot journey coming out pretty soon. The simple stuff: tuning in with your feet, checking your feet, thinking about how you stand, walk, squat, jump, run, um, and then we're going to progress that into deeper education. So some barefoot mechanics courses, and then we've got the advanced coaches who are interested in doing how they look after athletes' feet. So the idea there with that education is from learning about what a, a foot is really supposed to be shaped like and do all the way through to how to really improve your performance. That's the goal. Awesome. So between good quality yeah. shoes, good quality education, if you haven't already, like this is a brand to check out. There's, the shoes look cool. Um, like I said, quality, I've always found to be really good. Uh, they're comfortable. And, yeah, you'll find on Vivo's website uh, some of the science, yeah, all these bits and pieces on, on education because, like, that's just as important as wearing the shoe. You know, it's important that you understand um, how your foot should be moving, uh, that you do it safely because, yeah, if your foot has been bound up for however long, um, as in, and I mean, look, even for myself, I'll still regularly check in to see how my feet function because even though you might try and rehab your feet, I'm in barefoot shoes all the time, we still live life, you know, and you might still sit too much or be eating foods that are inflammatory or, or something that just changes how you move or, you know, a little injury that just back in and that's where this education is going to be magic, you know, just to get an understanding of, yeah, how you should be squatting, walking, all these things. It's good to check in with that regularly so you can make sure that you, you're still on path to be winning in 30, 40 years, not that you've got a little bit of a dysfunction occurring. Um, 
you know, and then before you know it, you're cursing the shoes when in fact it's not the shoes. Um, you know, and I know that from experience. I used to get all the reps here in the clinic when I was a, a normal podiatrist, traditional podiatrist, and I'd be always trying to, you know, give me shoes to try. And I just was on this mission to find the best shoe to make my feet feel comfortable and my knee to stop hurting. Um, and I made myself all the orthotics I could because I could. I could do it. I had the resources to do so. And I was just constantly trying to chase shoes. And it wasn't until I started fixing my, my body and getting into, um, for me, I spend most of my time, if I'm not barefoot um, or in barefoot sandals, I'm in my vivos. And now I can't blame the shoe. Like it's, it's all on me. It's all on my body. Um, if I'm not, if I'm getting pain, it's because I'm not moving properly. Like I cannot blame the shoe anymore. So keep in check with your body. Check out the website. Anything else to to add? You'd like to kind of mention or, or pop in? Yeah. Do you? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Is that? Like, I can try to see where it's come from. So Galahad's new slogan is just "Do you." <laughs> I actually like that. Yeah. You know, that's like it's exactly what you said. It's about you know being the best version of yourself. You realizing your natural potential, and ultimately, you know, don't make any excuses for yourself. Yep. Stay connected right. to people and planning. All right. Thank you very much for your time, guys. Um, awesome to chat. Been really excited for this one. Uh, for a while to hear where the brands come from, from your perspective, where it's going. Uh, loving everything you're doing, loving the research. So thank you very much for your contribution and to, to the barefoot world. You guys have made a huge difference and, and will continue to, I'm sure. And you make my job a lot easier, giving people the option of wearing not only a, a healthy shoe, but one that looks and feels great too. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Nice one, Paul. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.